Would you pray with me, please? Holy Spirit, lead us now to trust your word to us as we open scripture, as we sit in the presence of our Savior. May the words that we read be for us your living word. Convict us, call us, and empower us through this word. Amen. This morning I'll be reading from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 14, verses 13. The live stream who may be coming back to worship in the coming weeks, that there are no Bibles in the pews here. So when you come, if you want to bring your own Bible to look at, you're welcome to do that, or even to uh, look up the scripture on whatever mobile device you have. So that's just a little note to tuck away for uh, if you hope to join us in the coming weeks. So I'll be reading the Baptist had been beheaded. So when Jesus heard what had happened, that John had been beheaded, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the... As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, they do loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. And they all ate and were satisfied And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Jean and Mary are friends that I made back in seminary, and they're the kind of people who have this tireless estimates to shame. In addition to completing their normal seminary assignments they seemed to, that seemed to overwhelm the rest of us, they also had two children. And then in their free time, just for fun, they would translate theological books into Mandarin. Tim Keller, Joel Beakey, and many others. And on top of their seemingly endless enthusiasm for serving what kids were doing or how I was feeling, serving God and others. Those are the people who are the first to volunteer, the first people that they cannot help but overflow while the rest of us kind of just sit back a little bit tired from our own. not seem to fall into the category of people who never tire of serving God and others. They look kind of exhausted. It makes sense that they would be exhausted. Discipleship is a difficult journey, and there are a lot of demands. Just a short time before the miracle that we read this morning, Jesus sent the disciples out on this mission trip of a lifetime. This mission trip wasn't about like painting people's houses or fixing their roofs, which is the kind of things that I have done, maybe that you've done on mission trips. Now, the disciples spent their mission trip preaching on the street corner, the kingdom of God is near. They went to the sickest people and healed them. They drove out demons. Jesus even gave them the authority to raise people from the dead. 
In groups of two, they spent their mission trip doing exactly the kind of miraculous things that they had seen Jesus do. Jesus warns them that it wasn't easy. It wasn't going to be easy. It wasn't even going to be that much fun, probably. They were being sent out like sheep to nap to recover. More than an evening get-together or a few pages in your journal to debrief and process that kind of trip. The disciples got back from this mission trip where they had witnessed the power of God at work through them, and they look exhausted. Then even fast forward a little bit, and the disciples are working hard again to try and decode Jesus' cryptic messages that he insists on communicating through parables. And finally, just before this passage, they received the news that John the Baptist had been killed by Herod. Discipleship is a difficult journey. There are a lot of demands, even danger. So they take note of this danger and decide to leave on a private boat to a quiet place, an unpopulated place outside the city in the wilderness where they could rest, where they could recover and find some safety. But Jesus was becoming uncomfortably popular, and maybe now news was spreading that even his disciples could heal people. So the sick, injured, and otherwise troubled people followed them across the lake. As their boat gets closer to the shore, they wonder if maybe they miscalculated the distance or something. This didn't look like a quiet place. It looked like a city center, swarming with people. The exhausted eyes of the disciples look to Jesus for an excuse to keep going, to get away from How could they? They had nothing left to give these people. You also hear Jesus telling you, give them something to eat. But you're sure you don't have enough left to give. Discipleship is a difficult journey and there are a lot of demands. You hear Jesus cut or reduced as a result of the pandemic. Shows 6,100 people in Toronto, 2,000 new clients in February. So a 200% increase in new clients. Testing job or with needy children, maybe even at summer school. The need is so great and you're just one person. You hear Jesus telling you, give them something to eat when you read about the different organizations that community supports in our second offerings. This week, it's Habitat for Humanity, a worthy cause. But maybe you've just paid the bills for last month and you've even given some money to the church already. You feel like you don't have enough left to give. This may be especially the case if you have lost your job, or had your hours cut. Or you hear Jesus telling you, give them something to eat, when you hear of a coworker or a classmate who you know is feeling overwhelmed and burdened with life. You know that if Jesus were here, he would have compassion. He would reach out, he would listen, he would give something of himself to help this hurting person. But you have enough on your plate to take care of. You can't possibly do anything for the needs of this person as well. Maybe you just feel 
tired, tired of it all, tired of the pandemic, of the isolation, tired of the statistics, tired of the political games and the need. You feel like you don't have anything left to give. So it's with an exasperated sigh, I imagine, that the disciples scatter, some to see how much of their own provisions were left in the boat, others to gather what they could from the people nearby. And gathering in a huddle, the disciples placed their offerings before Jesus. Five flat, round loaves of bread, two small, salty, dried fish. Nothing fancy, certainly not the makings of a banquet feast. The people are organized into groups as if everyone were taking their seat around a table, waiting for their meal to be served. Jesus, the host of this meal, invites the disciples to bring their meager offerings to him. Bring them here to me, he says. So he speaks the customary Jewish blessing over the bread and fish. And maybe at this point, the people in the crowds are just expecting another teaching lesson, maybe a reminder of how God provided manna in the wilderness for their ancestors. But I wonder if they were really expecting to eat anything. Were they expecting a miracle on par with those wilderness provisions of manna? The tired disciples figure they'll at least indulge Jesus for a minute. It won't take long to pass these things out. Maybe then Jesus will let the crowds leave to get some real food. But having given every bit of that food away, they return to Jesus empty-handed. And Jesus gives them more. And they deliver that food to the next group of people. And having given every bit of that food away, they return to Jesus empty-handed, and Jesus gives them more. And on it goes until the disciples have given food to every group of people that have gathered. Now, it's not an extravagant banquet that the tired disciples have served up. It's just normal, daily food, bread and fish. On their own, the disciples could not come up with enough food to give the people something to eat. But in Jesus' hands, these meager daily provisions are multiplied into an abundance of food. Twelve basketfuls of broken bread and fish were left over. People had eaten until they were satisfied, and there was far more left over than what they had started with. Jesus honored, used, and magnified their efforts to serve. This was, in many ways, a new kind of wilderness manna provision. But instead of the bread and meat falling from the sky, it came from the hands of Jesus through the hands of his tired disciples and out to hungry people. Now, there are many people who read this miracle as something actually less than miraculous. Maybe you have heard something like this, that they pulled out their own sack lunches to share with the people around them. That the real miracle here is a kind of inspired generosity. The people just dug a little deeper and really came up people who find that reading of 
the, or of the miracle really inspiring and motivating. And there are more than just a few people who prefer this reading because miracles seem unscientific or unbelievable. But it seems to me that this reading might actually miss Matthew's point, which is that Jesus is not just a motivational spee, is providing for the crowds through the hands of his disciples. When the disciples were sure they did not have enough left to give, Jesus didn't just motivate them to dig a little deeper, find a little more. He actually provided what they needed, even in abundance, so that they could give the people something to eat. And today, when we hear the voice of Jesus say, give them something to eat, we can be sure that God will also provide what we need, even when we're sure that we do not have enough left to give. God honors This might not be anything very fancy or extraordinary. It might just be bland old bread and fish. But it comes right from the hands of Jesus and then through our hands and out to a hungry world. Building relationships with refugees is one way that I have seen this magnifying or multiplying power of God. Drayton Reformed Church, where my husband pastors, began their sponsorship of a Syrian refugee family just about four years ago, right before my family and I moved to Drayton. It started with just a simple apartment furnished with the basic necessities, but God transformed that apartment into a place where love and support were also found. At one point, someone in the congregation of obligation but he said, about six months later, something in me changed, he said. And I began to see them as part of my family. He said this as he stood in front of the congregation advocating for the church to sponsor another family. God transformed the little bit that he offered. His complacency, his sense of obligation. God transformed that into an attitude of joy and love. This family became part of his family. God transformed all that help with errands, the financial support, the meals shared together into a life-giving relationship for both families. Maybe you see this magnifying and multiplying power of God in other ways. It may come of a bag of groceries that you drop off for your neighbor or a small care package that you send to a university student far from home. Even when you're sure that you don't have enough to make a meaningful dent in their need, God takes what little you do have to offer and transforms it into a kind of love and support maybe that disarms your neighbor or that reminds this university student that there are people at home who love her and are praying for her. And you know what? This might not be anything super fancy or extravagant. Well, it might be, but maybe it's just bread and fish. Daily provision that come from his. Bring what you have here to me. 
We look forward to the ways that God will multiply our offerings, affirming relationships, meaningful connections, maybe even some much-needed hope and rest to those who need it. We trust that God will multiply our offerings in such a way that even we will have more faith, more hope, and more love than when we began. Thanks be to God for these abundant provisions. Let's pray. Generous God, thank you for this, the gift of your word. Embolden us now to bring what we have to you, whether it's the makings of a feast or just simple things. God, multiply our offerings for the sake of the world that you love. Amen.